Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com, and we got another amazing show lined up for you guys today. UFC 236 is finally upon us. That's right, the card you've all been waiting for, and we're going to be talking about the two interim title fights as well as another light heavyweight showdown that you aren't going to want to miss. We're also talking with three of the fighters on the card, Alan Joban, Eric Anders, and Andre Sukumta. Me and Shockwave Dave will also be going around the league talking all things TJ Dillashaw, what that suspension means for Bantamweight, what it means for TJ's future, and all kinds of other things. And, of course, what would an episode be without our famed combat countdown? We'll be looking at interim title challengers and champions in this unique countdown. But before we get to any of that... I want to remind you guys that this episode is brought to you by ADK Fightwear. Go to ADKFightwear.com, use promo code TURTLE, T-U-R-T-L-E, all lowercase, and you're going to get 20% off high-quality jiu-jitsu gear. That's right. ADK Fightwear makes some of the highest-quality jiu-jitsu gear I've ever owned. I've owned their arm bars and stripes rash guard. I've had it for months now. I put it in the wash. I've had it on the mats constantly, the colors still pop, the stitches all look brand new, it's not peeling, it is just like I bought it, and you want to know the best part of it, that when you use promo code TURTLE, T-U-R-T-L-E, all lowercase, you can get it for just 20 bucks, where else can you get a high quality rash guard for 20 bucks, and don't just shop there for their rash guards, shop there for their geese, spats, sweatshirts, t-shirts, they've got it all, adkfightwear.com. ADK Fightwear brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby bringing with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Alan Jovan, who fights Dwight Grant this weekend at UFC 236. So, Alan, it's been uh, over a year since we've last seen you in the cage. Uh... What's it been like in the last year? Have you gotten to catch up on anything? Sort of fill us in on what's been going on in your life. Yeah, been been 14 months to be exact from the time that I, uh, I last stepped foot in the octagon until, the, until this time coming. So um, it, it's been rough, man, to be honest. Rough in terms of it was just injuries. It was injuries setting me back. Um, yeah, my last fight was a win, but I broke my foot in that fight. So I healed from that, got back into training camp, was supposed to fight in Germany right before that fight. I went through an entire camp. I injured my neck. I had to have my neck worked on. And then at the end of the year, I figured since I'd already been out for a whole year, let me just get my elbow cleaned out. My elbow had been having some troubles with bone fragments and things like that. So I had that done as well. All of last year was pretty much just recover, recover, recover. And so as soon as, you know, the new year struck 2019, I was just in, in camp mode. I was in, in rebuilding mode, ready to get it done. And uh, I've been in, you know, basically a three-month camp since the beginning of the year, just just ready to go, uh, trying to get better but stay healthy the entire time, and I've done that. So I'm eager, man. I'm eager to jump in there again and um, really remind fans of who I am as a fighter because when you're gone, it, it, it kind of – you lose your momentum. You lose your momentum in the sport, even if you're coming off of a win. I came off of a fight of the night and a knockout, but going out for a year, you lose that momentum, man. So I just need to get back in there, in there and uh, regain that momentum. Absolutely. And, and so I got to ask you too, with you know the neck stuff, the elbow stuff, you know the foot. 
is everything all healed up now? You said you had three months to sort of feel it out. Do, do you feel 100%? Do you feel like the Alan Joban that knocked out Ben Saunders? 100%. Yeah. I, I, I feel completely healed, and if not, better, because uh, not only did I have time to heal up, but, uh, you know, some of the, like I said, the elbow was a plaguing injury that I've had for about four years. I was just kind of dealing with the pain every single day after training. I'd ice my elbow and et cetera. So now that my elbow's uh, better, it's not fixed, but it's feeling a lot better. Uh, it's just less nagging injuries that, you know, it's just when you get out of bed in the morning and you feel the soreness in the back or the neck or the, or the elbow or the feet, it's one less thing that kind of, kind of have to get loosened up in the morning. So definitely feeling better. And, you know, I would not have taken this amount of time off ever or chosen to do it rather. But when anytime you take an amount of time off, you're, you're also allowing your body to heal. You know, I'm not getting punched in the face in a fight. Uh, and I'm not hopefully not, you know, breaking little bones or beating my body up too severely from being in, in, in full fight camp. So there's always, you know, the pros and cons to it. It was definitely more so a con just being out for so long. But uh, I do look at it, you know, as I allowed my, my brain, my body, a full year of rest and recovery going into this fight. Absolutely. And with, with 14 months off, too, I, I just got to ask, you know, you're getting a fight in April, which is fairly early in the year. Do you have goals for this year? Are you looking to fight two or three times? Are you looking to, to just absolutely get as much experience as possible? What what sort of is the goal for Alan Joban in 2019? Man, 100%. It's funny you even you, you said that because I'm – I'm a big guy on goals. I um, I write them down every year. January 1st, I write down a set of goals, and then I got to remind myself of them, and then I got to uh, set new goals if I met some of those goals. So I, I'm very much a goal-oriented guy because it just gives me small things to strive for and whatnot. But um, <clears throat> realistically, because I knew that I, I would have other things going on this year, and the older I get, the, the, the less I fight. You know, my first year in UFC was like five fights. And then it's kind of slowly trickled down. But three fights, three fights would be my goal. Um, and so that would be a really good year for me, considering what I went through last year. And, and you know, I'm kind of having a, a slow start this year. I didn't get to fight in February, fighting later April. Um, three fights would be great, man. Three fights would be great. Um, some big wins right here. Like I said, a, a big win in this fight gets me right back where I was because I was coming off the momentum from a very big win. Um, and I think another win after that would set me up for a main event slot, which is the, the goal that I'm looking for this year. I want to get, a, get a, a couple of wins under my belt, get that momentum back, get that buzz, and then get a main event on a fight night somewhere, something like that. And that would be a, a, a great one for me to do. And obviously the first win on that list has got to be Dwight Grant. So Dwight Grant, i got to ask you, uh, thinking about – how he is as an opponent. He's relatively new. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're a wily veteran in the UFC. What are sort of your mm -hmm. thoughts on him being, or you being rather sort of the first veteran he faces in the UFC? Yeah. You know, I'm cool with it. it, it, it the, the game is interesting, man. Um, you come off of a loss or you come off of a layoff as I did. And, um, you could be facing anybody, anybody in there. And, um, People can climb the ranks very fast as well. As we've seen, like, uh, what's his name? Anthony, uh, uh, the guy that just fought John Jones. Um, Smith. Anthony whatever Smith. his name is. Yeah, yeah. Anthony Smith. You know, guys like that, he comes in into UFC. He gets on, like, four wins. And next thing you know, he's fighting John Jones. And, and that happens a lot in the UFC. Some people come in, they have a couple big wins, and then they get a bigger fight. Some people come in, 
like me, and either they have a loss or, or in my case, they have a long-time layoff, and they're fighting that guy that's coming off of a big win. And so I think that's kind of where me and uh, um, Dwight are meeting, you know, not to say anything about uh, he's not on my level as a fighter, but in terms of experience, I've been in the UFC four or five years. I've been fighting everyone. Um, he's relatively new, as you mentioned. He's only got one fight on the contender, two fights in the UFC, but he's coming off of a big knockout win, and I'm coming off of a 14-month layoff, and I think that's why our two camps, uh, our two uh, lines cross. Um, also, I was having kind of a tough time finding an opponent because I had a short window. You know, I needed to fight uh, end of March. I wanted to be on that card in Philly or this one. That was really the only time because I needed the full camp to get ready before that, and then after it, I have some stuff going on where I'm shooting a movie after the fight. And so I pretty much told the UFC, I said, look, guys, I need something within this two to three week window right here. And these are the only two cards. And with that said, it makes it a little bit more difficult to find a suitable opponent that's ready on those two dates as well. And so I think that was some of the things that factored in me and Dwight meeting up on this date. Absolutely. And now I'm going to ask you about that movie in just a second, but I, w- I want to finish up talking mm-hmm. about Grant here. So uh, obviously you saw his knockout, which was a big, you know, violent knockout. Mouthpiece goes flying. It was viral all over the place. You're coming off a big knockout yourself. Do you have any thoughts about mm-hmm. his knockout or his knockout power uh, or, or even as just as striking in general? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll give him credit. He's got uh he's got power. He's got very long limbs. You know, his, uh, He's about six one, but he's got a 78-inch reach, I believe. And uh, you can see his limbs, when he has his hands up in, in, in his stance, in his guard position, his his hands go to his face and his elbows go to his hip bones. So his, 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 uh, his barrier, his armor, his arms are protecting a lot of his body, a lot of his face. So, so it allows him to um, defend a lot, of, a lot of shots. And I'm always looking at that, like the guy's reach and how they carry the hands. So I know where to place my target. So um, that allowed him to block a lot of the stuff that was coming in his last fight and end up finding the rhythm and finding the timing to land that overhand that put the guy's lights out. So uh, it was good, man. I think, I think he's a game opponent. Uh, I don't think he's faced anyone quite like me. And a lot of people say that, but I, I look at it like this. The, Dwight's last two opponents were Southpaws. I'm a Southpaw. So in his mind, he's probably thinking, okay, I know what to do. It's the same thing. The guy we're going to fight for the outside, uh, the outside foot need to be out there. I'm going to counter off of his kicks, kicking a low kick. I'm going to slip the left hand, et cetera, et cetera. But none of those guys, 100% of a fact, none of those guys fight like I do. And, and it comes to splitting hairs. They do certain things good, but I do those things a lot better than they do. So it's just going to be another level for him, man. Anybody can get caught in this game. I'm not here saying I'm the best in the world or I'll beat anybody or – Anything can happen on any given day. It's happened to me. But uh, the guys that he has fought do not do the things that I do as well as I do. And so I plan on going and putting that on display. Absolutely. So now I want to do talk quickly about that movie reference you just dropped there, too. Is yeah. this something you can let us know about, or is this something that's uh, kind of hush-hush until uh, it, it's officially released? Yeah, no, it's cool, man. I can be open about it. It's a movie um, called Harry Half. Harry Half, and it's uh, based on a true story of a guy named Harry Half, who was a, a Jewish prisoner in, in the war, and he was in a concentration camp. And basically, he is a, he's being played by the actor Ben Foster, and he had to fight for his life in, in, in these camps. And whoever would win the fight would stay alive. The loser 
would be executed. And this guy here, he have actually went 75 and 0, or in the 70s, 70 fights uh, in his concentration camp, bare knuckle boxing, fighting and winning. And, and he saved his own life by winning. And he escaped the camp, moved to America, became a professional boxer in the 50s. And he fought two famous guys. One of them was a man named Roland Lestarza, who's a an Italian guy from the Bronx, who I'm actually going to be playing in the movie. And Roland Lestarza has my same specs. He's six feet tall. He's 190 pounds. He's got kind of darker skin, dark hair. Um, and so he kind of he kind of resembles me. We even both have a mole on our face on the same side. So that's the reason I got the part. The part I resemble the guy very much. Um, and obviously I'm a fighter, and so that helped. And uh, so I'll be playing that part in the movie. And then the other famous person in the in the movie or, or famous person being played is um, the guy, Harry Half, uh, fights me. And then he actually went in real life and fought Rocky Marciano. And that was the famous fight that made his story uh, told around the world. And uh, so he fights Rocky Marciano in the movie. That's kind of the big fight scene at the end. But, uh, you know, for me, it's a small part in a big movie. Uh, it's got... Uh, great directors and great actors in it. So I'm just kind of honored to be a part of it and get my feet wet and something like this. That's absolutely awesome. Now, I, I do want to ask, too, just as a fight fan here, uh, how long is that going to keep you out of the cage? Is, is this going to be, you know, a month of time where you're going to be away? Or is this uh, something that obviously you can train through and you'll be fighting shortly after? Right. Not not too long, actually. So it, it, it they've been shooting it. It shoots in Budapest, and they've been shooting it on and off, on and off. Um, and so it's a couple weeks after my fight, I fly to Budapest for a couple weeks, um, and shoot it and then come back. So, uh, I need to be lean for the movie anyway, because, uh, even though I'm 190 and the guy I'm playing is 190, the main character, Ben Foster is not quite as big as me. So I can't look 30, 40 pounds <laughs> bigger than the, the lead character. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I need to go in there lean. So, uh, you know, I'm really, you know, if everything aligns perfectly, I have a great fight and I'm also able to escape healthy and then I'll just stay lean. Uh, don't do the pigging out yo-yo diet that a lot of us fighters do after where we just splurge for like two weeks and get fat and do nothing. Uh, ideally I'd love to, you know, be not too banged up where I can come back home and kind of stay on the diet, keep kind of jogging and, uh, moving lightly. And that way I can kind of stay around weight, uh, closer to fight weight and go and shoot the movie, come back. And then as soon as the movie's done, uh, if I could stay in shape throughout the whole time, try to get another big fight in, in, in the near future, you know, not wait three or four months. I'd like to just keep the ball rolling. Well, we're certainly looking forward to that, and we'll be looking forward to the movie as well. Once again, this was Alan Joban, who fights Dwight Grant this weekend at UFC 236. Alan, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's a pleasure, man. Thank you, guys. This is Daniel Gumby Freeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today I have a pleasure with speaking with Eric Anders, who fights Khalil Roundtree at UFC 236 this weekend. Eric, uh, let's start by talking about the, the choice of this fight. Because you, you went to 205 once for a fight with now title challenger Tiago Silva. Went back to 85 to fight Elias Theodoro. And now you're back to 205 What's sort of behind the choice go back to go back to light heavyweight? And is this a permanent change? Uh, man, you know, I get in where I fit in. This is just the first fight that was offered to me this year. So, you know, little, little weight, like heavyweight, you know, it's all the same to me. So, you know, um, just like I said, this is the first fight that was offered. So let's do it. 
So anything to get back in there, you, you feel like you wanted to be more active? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I like to fight every, you know, three or four months anyway. So, you know, this is, uh, you know, perfect for me. Yeah, and I wanted to talk to you about that fight with Tiago Santos, too, because there was kind of a weird ending to that fight where it seemed like it was going to decision. Then, you know, the, the referee ruled a little bit differently. What what are sort of your thoughts on the end of that fight with Santos? Well, we know it was a five-round fight anyway, so, you know, I wasn't going to – I don't think I was going to make it to answer the bell in the fourth round anyway, so I think the, uh, the referee did a good job in that one. Okay, well, that's good to know. So, uh, you know, obviously, you know, that there were some, some – snafus there but how does it feel now that he's fighting for a title shot do you wish you could get back in there with him is it sort of validating that he's that high up um you know i'm I'm happy for him you know and if you look at the fights he's had from me and on you know i think i did the best against him you know he uh he's a good fighter powerful guy um so you know i'm happy for him uh, i think eventually we'll see each other again anyway so you know it's, uh, it's just a matter of time and that seems like a, a fun fight down the road too now i, I see on your, your twitter you posted a picture with mark montoya the head coach factory x recently I, I was just wondering you know speaking of the light heavyweight title picture were, were you working there with anthony smith while he was getting ready for for john jones yeah i put in some work uh just about the time i started training up here and uh, it was a few weeks before the fight actually happened so you know, I've been up here for a little bit now. So that, that's certainly fun too. And did, does that, you know, how did that help you personally in getting an, another fight ready for a, a title shot like that? Oh um, man, you know, it was awesome. You know, he's really focused, and uh, you know, I think he's a good fighter, man. You know, he can do any of strike and wrestle and do jujitsu and all that stuff. And you know, it, it was he's surprisingly big and strong. You know, I didn't think that he was as heavy as he was uh, when he's on top of you. So. It was a good experience to work with a bigger guy of that caliber. Absolutely. Now, I, I want to talk about your upcoming fight, too, because obviously, you know, this is about you. You're fighting Khalil Roundtree, who's never gotten a takedown in the UFC yet. Do you expect this to sort of be a stand-up war, or are we going to be seeing you sort of make him work off of his back for a good chunk of this fight? Yeah, you know, I, you know, he likes to. I, th- I think that we'll, uh, we'll meet in the middle, we'll touch gloves, and we'll get right to it. You know, he's a fast starter, so I don't think that uh, there's going to be a whole lot of downtime or figuring things out in this fight. You know, he likes to play, I like to play, so, you know, we'll see who, uh, who ends on the feet. And, and with with you having had fights, you know, like the one you had before with Loyola Machito, which wound up being, you know, sort of picking from far away, is is that the kind of fight you prefer, like the kind of fight that Roundtree brings? Um, yeah, you know, I want to. You know, I want to fight when I fight. You know, I don't want to have to bring my track shoes and my dancing shoes in there um, and chase guys around the cage. Um, you know, I want to fight a guy who shows up and fights. So, you know, uh, it's, I think it's a great matchup for the both of us. We both like to do the same thing. We're both left-handed. So, uh, you know, I think it'll be a good one for the fans as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the UFC agrees with that, too, because, you know, I looked at the, the listing of the fights for the card and and right now it's got you positioned right below the two title fights on the main card what are sort of your thoughts on that and is there any extra added pressure given that fact no nah, you know it's cool to be in the um, you know, it's cool pressure you know no matter where i'm at on the card you know you knew this is he signed up i signed up so 
now really is the only thing is there to go in there and do is uh, make weight and uh, show up Saturday and put on a show for the fans. Well, we certainly look forward to it. Uh, Eric, do you got a prediction for the fight before we let you go? Uh, I absolutely believe that, uh, that there's no way this fight goes uh, full three rounds. And I believe that I'll be uh, going with my hand raised with the finish um, come April 13th. Well, we certainly are looking forward to it. Once again, this was your boy, Eric Anders, who fights Khalil Roundtree at UFC 236. Once again, Eric, we thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. I appreciate you for having me, brother. And those interviews with Alan Joban and Eric Anders were brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E is the first and only name in social media for the jiu-jitsu enthusiast. That's right. Now there is an app for your phone. You can get it on Google Play or the Apple Store. Now it is on your phone for you to track your jiu-jitsu stats. That's right. You start by setting up a profile. You put your name in there along with your belt, maybe your stripes. You can also put in your home gym and a couple of other things like that. And from there, you get to log your trainings, which is really helpful for somebody like me who sometimes forgets what they did last week. So it reminds me how many times I've trained. It reminds me how many times I trained the week before that. It gives me a little update whether or not I'm making good progress. I can keep notes in there. I can keep competitions if I want to remember how I did. Uh, you can weigh in. You can check in what your friends are doing. It is an all-in-one place app that is so, so helpful to make sure that you're tracking your jiu-jitsu progress. I highly suggest that if you love jiu-jitsu as much as I do, you head to Maroon Social and you download that baby. Now, back to the show. I am Daniel Gumby Vreeland, joined here by Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, that movie with Alan Joban sounds pretty sick. What do you think of it? 100p. That movie sounds absolutely sick. A little surprised. It sounds kind of more on like the drama side than the action side. When he first said he was in a movie, I thought, okay, maybe it's like a your typical action movie. You know, like GSP did the modern day kickboxer. That's the first thing my mind jumps to. But that movie sounds heavy. Yeah, yeah, it sounds real heavy. And in addition to that, too, you know, like his ability to like play. Off, I mean, like he's a model too. So let let's not forget that piece too. <laughs> so so obviously he's like you know more likely to do a drama than most UFC fighters, but then he could pair it with his boxing skills. So I, it's probably a perfect fucking role for him. It's a perfect fucking role for him. Best of luck to him in his, uh, acting career and model career. Uh, him and, uh, him and, um, why? Oh, Luke Rockhold. I, I don't know why I was blanking on oh, Luke Rockhold. Elias Theodorou to some extent too. I mean, he's maybe not a model, but he's a ring, ring boy and, uh, the, per, right. the face of Pert Plus. The, those three guys, and I'm sure Sage Northcutt, when his MMA career flames out, are going to be like the flag bearers of MMA transitioning into the, the model and acting game. So good for them. Uh, let's move on, though. We have a jam-packed show today. You know what? Let's go to our Fastest Fight News segment. It's our favorite segment on the show. Well, at least tied for our favorite segment on the show. And if you haven't been here before, let me give you the deal. We deliver the news to you in under 15 minutes or less, or your podcast is free. We don't like to waste your time, but we like to catch you up on the comings and goings of the MMA world. And there's nothing bigger this week than the fact that T.J. Dillashaw, once considered the potential GOAT, of the bantamweight division, if you're not, you know, if you consider the fact that he had a head-to-head loss of Dom Cruz, but you look at the overall body of the work, who he's beaten, and that was a very close loss to Dominic Cruz, mind you, too. Some people had T.J. Dillashaw as the GOAT. 
But now that comes into extreme question because he popped for EPO. He suspended two years. My first question to you, Gumby, is what does this do for TJ Dillashaw's legacy? Oof. Um, I mean, his, his legacy is pretty fucking tainted because uh, I, I don't know if you saw it came out like 10 minutes before we were taping too that they went back and tested a prior sample from like, uh, I think it was two months prior and that one also had EPO in it too. So, um, you know, I, I didn't know too much about it. I'm obviously not a chemist or a steroid expert of any means, but I, you know, I'm seeing stuff out there that like this stuff does not get in your system without a needle. So <laughs> with, with that being said, TJ Dillashaw enters Jose Canseco territory for me, uh, in being that like, This is a guy who now has to face public and openly say that he was a cheater for a long period of time. You know, like, there are tons of people out there who have tested positive for stuff and have been, like, tainted supplement, this, that, whatever. He has to look in everybody's face and say, look, I cheated for at least this amount of time. And and to me, that legacy will never be fixed. Because, right, like, it's... Uh, we're we're still cool with Anderson Silva's legacy for a couple of reasons. Number one, there's some sort of like plausible deniability, and number two, we're like, eh, he just did it late in his career when he was trying to like mm. catch up, catch a couple more years, right? And like, if you Good don't point. buy it, if you don't buy it, whatever, that's cool. If you don't buy it too, but there's enough deniability where you're like, okay, Anderson Silva's legacy still exists. He wasn't doing it when he was at his best, or whatever you want to say. TJ Dillashaw's the height of his career, he was on a steroid that he had to inject into his body. His legacy will never fucking recover because of that. Yeah, and you also have to go back to Cody Garbrandt issued a tweet about a year ago. I think it was in the spring before April, their yeah. August. April 18. Yep. April of 18, where he said something to the effect of, like, go take your EPO. I mean, I guess it was pretty known you also have to remember, too, that Chad Mendez popped, and he was a longtime teammate of TJ Dillashaw. I find that when one guy in a camp is doing something on the dirty down low, it's pretty typical that maybe a teammate hooked him up or, you know, they're doing it together. Uh, that's why your parents tell you to stay away from those bad influences when you're a kid in high school. Uh, but, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I'm a huge TJ Dillashaw fan. This obviously changes things. This obviously taints things. Um, and you know, it'll be interesting to see when he does come back. I assume he will, uh, I assume he'll want to avenge, you know, or at least try to add to that legacy and write this wrong. He's a super competitive guy, but two years with the rate that MMA is evolving at this point, he's 33 now. That means he won't fight until he's 35 at the same time. You know, and 35, mind you, this ain't the heavyweight division. This is bantamweight. They move pretty fucking fast on the yep. Furious, Vin Diesel style. He might be done. Yeah, and here's a question, too. Even if he comes back in two years, say he's he looks the same, is throwing punches the same. Say he comes back in two years at 35. How does the UFC promote that? You know, like, how can they in good conscience be like, oh, he's only two fights away from a title shot? Like, I just don't know how the UFC recovers from that because, like, like I said before, all of those other guys who, like, tested positive had some level of plausible deniability. This guy is just, like, now labeled an open cheater. I I can't imagine how they promote him with any kind of credibility. 
Yeah, I think that's the dirty side of MMA. I mean, listen, if Greg Hardy can get promoted, sometimes dirtiness is actually a promotional vehicle. If they got a card to fill out in 2021 spring ESPN and TJ Dillashaw, you know, is going to get the clickbait headlines. All he has to do is say, whatever, you know, I'm back and I'm clean. It's going to drive the interest. But I do. I know what you're saying, though, overall. It's not going to be like they just award him a title shot upon coming back. He's it's going not to have a, to work. Not a hero. Yeah, it's not a hero's welcome by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, we'll keep moving on. Uh, other big news of the week is that Yoel Romero, out of his uh, big main event with Jacare Souza, that was a fight we had already seen before. Jack Hermanson in, though, got to tell you, not mad at it. No, and I, I love the move for Jack Hermanson because his recent win over David Branch catapulted him to number 10 in the middleweight rankings, which is a big move for him, especially when you consider... I, I mean, if you don't know all that much about Jack Hermanson, if, if you're new to the Jack Hermanson world, Jack Hermanson has a low-key, like, really impressive resume. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure, and we'll put the intern on this, I'm pretty sure he only has two losses in the division. I know one of them is to Tiago Santos, uh, who is now fighting no for the title at, at 205, right? And hang on, the intern is almost to where he should be. Damn uh, Cesar, Fer- Cesar Ferrara. Cesar- oh, yeah, Cesar right. Ferrara. Okay, so that, that that's a little bit more, but that's a long-ass time ago, too. He did that in late 2016. But since then, he's beaten Alex Nicholson, Brad Scott, Theolius Lates, Gerald Mearshart, who is no joke, and he submitted Gerald Mearshart. And then he just submitted Henzo Gracie-trained David Branch with a guillotine in under a minute. I mean, like, he's it, got a pretty impressive resume. Back-to-back guillotines for him, too. I'm super rooting for him to get a three-peat hat-trick guillotine. But against, but against uh, Jacare? That would be insane. Fuck it. Yeah. Why not? Let's go. Let's get fucking wild. Uh, no, I'm very happy for him. It's a fresh matchup, too. I've already seen Jacare and UL. I know it was close the last time they fought. But there's just something about the freshness. I'm all about newer guys stepping up in these big spots, especially against legends. And it's like you said, he's got a low-key good do for a combat countdown best low-key records in the ufc right now uh but you know the win over jacare would absolutely catapult him to the top so i love this uh for him as far as jacare goes okay he beats an up up and coming young lion i would definitely say it's time for jacare to get that title shot this is the time we can't wait any longer on jacare it's been long enough uh i i have to say the 2019 or early 2020 is the time for Jacare's final uh, for his first title shot in the UFC? What do you think? Yeah, I think so too. My worry is just like with middleweight being so muddled right now, it, it seems like a, a tough get. I, I think probably his best case scenario would be a dominant performance against Jack Hermanson, and in the co-main event this weekend, if Idasanya blasts Kelvin Gastelum. If for some reason Robert Whitaker has too much time before he can fight again, give me Ida Sonya versus Jacare to defend that title until they can, whoever can unify it with, with Whitaker. But, but I think you're looking at a long time before he can get that because of the injury to Whitaker. Mm. Yeah, it is very muddled. You're right. But it's a very exciting muddling because there are a lot oh, of guys great. up there. And I, 
I hate to say it too, Chris Weidman just had another surgery. I really feel like we're nearing the end of the road with him, which is unfortunate. You get the sense that Rockhold has one foot out the door. He's well, been he's, unhappy he's with the UFC. Anyway. And I was just going to say he's going to 205 anyway. So you have this tremendous turnover at 185. Obviously, Adesanya leading that charge. Uh, and then maybe Hermanson coming right up on a tail. So something to keep in mind. We'll keep on moving, though. Uh, you know, not necessarily MMA news, but <laughs> this past weekend, WWE Hall of Fame induction ceremony, Bret Hart was accepting his award, and uh, a fan attacked him, actually an amateur MMA fighter, so there is an MMA tie-in here, a two-in-one guy in a very small promotions, um, not anything of a big prospect, and who was one of the first people on the scene, <laughs> but Mr. Ronda Rousey himself, Ronda Rousey's husband, and and uh, is he still under UFC contract? Actually, I think so. I, I think I, he I actually is. had that same but question he's... asked to me by somebody else. I didn't look it up. I'm pretty sure, but I think he's like pseudo retired. Well, the person we're talking about, of course, is Travis Brown, pseudo retired. Right on the scene, got some shot, shots in, along with Davey Boy Smith Jr., who's somewhat of a shooter himself, if you're familiar with the phrase, if you know you're pro wrestling. Uh, it was very cool to see. I got to say, uh, seeing all the wrestlers come uh, right away to protect Bret Hart and Travis Brown right in the middle of it. There have been rumors going around, not only that Kane Velasquez, who's trained at the Performance Center, could make that switch to WWE, but Travis Brown right there makes tons of storyline sense as they say with this connection to ronda rousey and you know what hey god bless i love seeing ufc guys uh be successful outside of it and you know maybe wwe is a natural transition for travis brown yeah it makes sense he's got that like freaky large body i mean that's always what drew fans to him as a, a ufc fighter right like we want to see guys not only who are at the top of their game we want to see freaky looking fighters right like Stefan Struve always had a huge following because he's fucking seven foot one or whatever the hell he is. Travis Brown is like six foot seven or six foot eight. He's like awkwardly lanky. Um, that front kick KO of Alistar Overeem. But uh, yeah, I'm glad he's doing good things outside. I'm going to go down a really deep WWE rabbit hole if you'll indulge me for a second. Uh, I do want to make mention. <laughs> okay, thank you. I do want to just make mention of the fact that later on in the show, and no one talked about this, I picked it up, it just irked me, uh, Road Dog Jesse James was accepting his award, and he said something to the effect of, like, I'd like to see someone from the crowd try to attack us up here, talking about him and his Degeneration X teammates. I didn't really appreciate that comment. Let me tell you why. One, Bret Hart is 60 years old. So <laughs> I guess what he's saying is, like, you know, try it on us. But you got one over on Bret Hart. And it's like, hey, asshole, he's a cancer survivor. He's a heart attack survivor. And when he was actually healthy, he would have beaten your ass to the ground. He beat Shawn Michaels in a backstage locker room fight, if you know your insider wrestling uh, rumors and drama. And that all being said, Bret Hart's family was right there on the spot. Davy Boy Smith Jr., very tough guy. We got it, Road Dog. Fuck off. Also, I do want to mention that Bret Hart's dad, Stu Hart, was one of the original inventors of Catch as Catch Can Wrestling uh, in the mid-1900s. So, very tough family. He stretched many a people in his uh, his dungeon, as they call it, the basement uh, of their home in Calgary. Many uh, pro wrestlers would go down there, and he would shoot on them. 
basically do what we consider modern American day jiu-jitsu, uh, submission wrestling, catch-as-catch-can wrestling. So again, that's a very tough family. Bret Hart needs no protection. Fuck off. I also want to bring up one other pro wrestling tie in Gumby, and that is that it looks as though that Brock Lesnar is getting ready for an MMA comeback, of course, to the UFC, of course, the summer. And the early rumor is it would be Daniel Cormier for the belt. Your thoughts? Yeah, I heard uh, the rumor I most recently heard, and it's on a couple of places, including the UG, uh, UFC 241 on August 17th. Look, I, I get it. Like, it, it makes a lot of sense. Like, is there a clear-cut contender for Daniel Cormier's title right now? Would, would, do you have anybody no. in mind? No. I, I, uh, I, I mean, I would give Stipe a rematch, but no, for the purposes of this drill, no. Well, and also, too, like, I w- I'm cool with giving Stipe a rematch, right? Like, that's what I wanted after that fight, probably, because there was nobody else clear-cut to fight, you know, unless you were really into Derek Lewis. And I was like, yeah, sure, he hadn't fight. He has sat out so long that he's done himself a disservice. He could have come back and beaten the piss out of somebody who who didn't deserve to be in there with him, right? Like, he could have come back and beaten the fucking hell out of Alexander Volkov or... Alexi Olenek, or like, you know, like he could have come back and smashed one of those dudes and he'd have his title fight. And instead he's like sat around. So like for me, he's done himself the disservice. He's not in there, you know, maybe Naganu, but Naganu is sort of fighting JDS. And, and we assume JDS, the winner of that is going to be the next one. In the meantime, give me Brock Lesnar. Like I, I know that it seems silly. I know that it's a dumb matchup. I know that DC is probably going to run through him like, incredibly fast but all that being said dc has done a lot for the sport dc is one of the sports good guys let him have his big fight i don't give a shit you know naganu came on our very show on top turtle mma podcast as featured on flowcombat.com and said he would not mind the fight against brock lesnar that's the one i actually really want to see just because they're both so one-dimensional in their ways but you're completely right dc is just gonna sauce him as the kids say, I, I would and, almost uh, rather have DC versus Dos Santos, right? And Naganu versus Brock. But yep. any combination of those four in like a little mini tournament, buckle up! I love it. All right, let's move on to our favorite segment on the show. Well, at least tied for our favorite segment on the show. It's the combat countdown, uh, and this week, very interesting. We're counting down the best five. Interim title people, people who actually fought for an interim title. So it doesn't mean that they won an interim championship, it ju- and maybe they did, but it could also mean they just fought for an interim championship and never won the real thing. So when you break that down, there are 10 people who have fought for an interim title and never won the real belt. Five of them won the interim title, and five of them didn't. So we will get that on the other side of this little ad. Tell us, Gumby, who brings us this combat countdown? This combat countdown is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. Head to SISUGuard.com for the only mouthguard where you can talk, breathe, and drink, all with that mouthguard up in your mouth if you do jujitsu. And you're used to having one of those big, big thick, rubbery mouthguards up in your mouth that you have to take out all big, the time. thick, big, thick. Keep going. You got to get those out of there to in order to talk to your teammates. So, 
it, it gets gross. It gets disgusting. Your hands are covered with mat germs. You're probably going to die sometime in the near future. Get a Sisu mouth guard instead because you can leave it in there. You can chug some water. You can talk to your teammate. You don't have to move it at all. And they are oh so comfortable. So once again, SISUGuard.com. Use promo code TOPTURTLE15 and get 15% off every single mouth guard you buy. All right, the top five people to have fought for an interim title and never won it. We're going to start with someone who challenged for an interim title, also challenged for the real title, failed to win both, but he makes our top five. It's Chad Mendes. Yeah, we talked about Chad Mendes before in his sort of like uh, tainted past too, but for me, you know, Chad Mendes is a guy who is damn close in a fight with Jose Aldo once, and he really got the better of, of Conor McGregor for at least a round. So when you consider those two things, as well as when you consider his body of work at whole, you know, it, it's sort of sad that he walked away recently, but Chad Mendes has a pretty impressive record, especially when you don't just look at wins and losses. Well, he only lost to Jose Aldo, Conor McGregor, and then his last fight with probably one foot out the door to Volkanovski. Yeah, and, and, and that's impressive in and of itself, especially when you consider he took rounds off of Aldo and off of Conor. We'll move then to number four, one of my favorite fighters of all time. Never won the big belt, never won the real one, but he did win the interim title and attempted to defend it, was unsuccessful defending the interim title. Defending an interim title, by the way, is one of the stupidest things in <laughs> MMA, but that's another story for another day. Number four is Big Nog. Yeah, Big Nog, first of all, anybody who is debating this on our, our Twitter doesn't realize how big of a legend he is. Big Nog got his interim title fight because there was a contract dispute with Randy Couture. If you look at the list of people this dude beat and you don't want to put him on it, he beat Randy Couture, he beat Tim Sylvia, he beat Josh Barnett, he beat Fabricio Verdum. The, the list goes on and on, dude, of the people. He, Miracle Crow Cop in his prime, he armbarred the motherfucker. Dan Henderson, he armbarred. Like, his resume is as good as it gets. So the fact that he never got the real deal title but did have to fight for an interim one and won it, uh, makes him a, a no-brainer for this list. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we, of course, put this out on our Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA, got tremendous feedback. Uh, one guy wanted Shane Carwin in there over Big Nog. Over, and, over uh, Big Nog! <laughs> yeah, that, that just wasn't happening. But we respect <laughs> the opinion nonetheless. Uh, number three, then, we'll go to, and this was a very popular opinion, uh, a lot of people had him at number one. I'm very comfortable where we are placing him at number three. It's Carlos Condit. Yeah, so Carlos Condit, first of all, wins his interim title by beating Nick Diaz, um, which is a really impressive win. Um, he follows it up by trying to unify it by fighting George St. Pierre in a hell of a fight. And look, if you're going to try to win the real deal title against George St. Pierre, you're probably going to lose anyway. And then later he gets another title shot, which he loses by split decision. And by all accounts, most people have him winning that fight. Um, UFC 195 against Robbie Lawler in January of 2016. I, I don't know if I had him winning it, but that being said, Carlos Condit has come about as close as you can come as any fighter to winning a title without having it. Um, but beating, I mean, just fucking beating Nick Diaz and then challenging both Robbie Lawler and GSP for their titles. What a freaking resume, Carlos Condit. 
Can't add anything more to that. Agree completely. One of my favorite fighters of all time. And he's one of those guys that's always going to go down as like, how the fuck did he not win the title? He obviously came so close against Robbie Lawler. And really that head kick against GSP, too. Let's not forget about that. The head kick in round four. He he certainly lost many rounds of that fight. I'd want to say four to one. Uh, But that head kick, you almost thought he was going to be champion there. So I think he's going to go down as one of those guys as like the best to never win it. We'll move then to number two. This guy still has a chance of winning the real title, uh, but he's fought for the interim title, and that is Yoel Romero. Yeah, Yoel Romero for me, it's crazy that like the last two people had interim titles. We're going to put Yoel Romero, who didn't have an interim title, on this list. But when you talk about how close he was to beating a stud like Robert Whitaker twice... And he absolutely made Luke Rockhold his bitch. Like, that fact alone should put him on this list ahead of a lot of these guys. So, while maybe his resume or his losses are not necessarily to the GSPs of the world, how close he was to having the real one, although some weight issues probably got in the way of those as well, how close he was to beating somebody like Robert Whitaker uh, makes him definitely higher on this list. All right, it's time. Let's get to the number one best fighter to not win gold, although it could still happen, and I think it very much could still happen for this fighter. He he fought for the interim title. He won an interim title. So he is an interim champion, but that has been stripped. And again, if you go back over the last two years, this guy has been on a rampage of wins, probably should be a champion in any other era, But we're, of course, talking about Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson is fucking 14-1 in the UFC. He's he's 13-1 at lightweight because you may have forgotten he won Ultimate Fighter at welterweight. uh, Came down, immediately went 13-1. And when you look at the list of people he's beat, dude, he, he stopped Josh Thompson's crazy run. He darst choked Edson Barboza. He... He outstruck Rafael Dos Anjos, he triangle choked the grappler in Kevin Lee, and he stopped Anthony Pettis, which is incredibly hard to do. Dude, this guy's run of right now 11 straight is one of the most impressive runs I've seen in a really long time. And I know he's got some other shit going on. God, I hope we see him fight fucking Habib soon, regardless of what happens in the interim fight this weekend. I'm pulling for him versus Habib. Yeah, uh, I can't wait to see that fight uh, if it ever happens. <laughs> I'd also love to see Tony versus Connor before Connor oh, steps away from the it. game. Uh, and I think Tony the world. Would, Gaethje. I was going to say, and I think ah. the world would probably explode if Tony versus Gaethje. Let's r- run it down. Chad Mendez was number five. Four was Big Nog. Three was Carlos Condit. Two was Yoel Romero. And number one. Tony Ferguson, guys who fought for the interim title, some won it, some didn't, they, but none of them ever won the big one. That's our list. We're sticking to it. Hit us up on Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA. Let us know if you loved it or hated it. Look for next week's list. We'll get that out in the next few days. Gumby, we have a UFC 236 breakdown to do, but one might wonder, does any fine company sponsor said UFC breakdown? And of course, this UFC 236 breakdown is brought to you by Sheath Underwear. Look, Sheath Underwear is changing the underwear game. That's right, underwear 
has now been taken up a notch. You might think that the only two options out there are boxers that allow your guys to flop all over the place or briefs that get you hot and sweaty and feel like you're being crushed. But now, Sheath Underwear has an innovative front pocket that promotes airflow to your cash and prizes while allowing you to feel supported while you're doing exercise. These things are truly a feat of science, plus they've got moisture-wicking technology so that you stay fresh down there even when you're working hard. So head to sheathunderwear.com, use promo code FLOW for 20% off. Now, for the three fights, I'm going to start by talking about Max Holloway. I like Max Holloway at negative 225 over Dustin Poirier. Look, I know Poirier won the first fight, but I just think Max Holloway is so changed from then. His pressure fighting style, the fact that once he tags you, he puts it on you, and the fact that you really can't hit him hard enough to to deter him, I think all plays really well into this fight. That being said, at negative 225 for the favorite, I'm a little weary about picking him. Um, But that being said, number one, I'm definitely picking Max Holloway. Number two, I'm taking... Israel Adesanya at negative 170 over Calvin Gastelum at plus 150. I'm a little bit more comfortable about this price on Israel Adesanya, mostly because I think he's going to pick and prod away at Calvin Gastelum. Remember, Gastelum was smallish for 170. Uh, He's up at 185, and Israel Adesanya is so long. The kickboxing passed. He knows how to use his reach and his distance. So I think that he pokes away at Calvin Gastelum. I also think that if you're looking for a fun prop, you could definitely put down an Adesanya Sanya by decision because that's probably going to get you some plus money and I don't think he finishes Calvin Gastelum who has never been knocked out and in the third fight I like the underdog Ovin St. Prue at negative 105 against Nikita Krylov at negative 115 the reason I like OSP is I just think he's a smarter fighter and that's not to say that Nikita Krylov is like some sort of idiot or something like that but Ovin St. Prue is a hell of a grappler And Nikita Krylov has been known to make grappling mistakes. As a matter of fact, look back at some of his past fights and you will see one very noticeable one in there that is uh, sort of a good reason to pick Ovin St. Prue in here. And that's because he gets submitted by a St. Prue choke. Okay, so in this, I'm taking Max Holloway over Dustin Poirier, Israel Adesanya over Calvin Gaslam, and Ovin St. Prue over Nikita Krylov. I want to give a quick thank you to our four sponsors, ADK Fightwear, Sheath Underwear, Sisu Mouthguards, and Maroon Social. Don't forget to download the Maroon Social app. I want to thank Flow Combat for having us on each and every week. I want to remind you to check out our Twitter at Top Turtle MMA, we always hit the airwaves with our combat countdown. But before we do, it's available there on our Twitter feed for you guys to give us feedback on. So make sure that you're checking that out. Plus, if you're listening to this right now, head to our Twitter account. We've got a great giveaway for an autographed picture from Brendan Schaub. You can enter into that. Now, before we let you go for the day, I want you to enjoy this interview with Andre Sukumta. Catch you next week. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Andre Sukumta, who fights Montel Jackson this weekend at UFC 236. So, Andre, uh, you picked up a big win the last time out after a, a sort of a tough loss. Is there any pressure to get the win streak going here? Um, you know, fighting in the UFC, I feel like there's always pressure, but um. It's pressure that I like, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, it's just going to make me perform better and stay sharp and focused. Absolutely. And so, uh, your opponent for this fight, Montel Jackson, uh, just fought and beat by Darius Choke 
a former one of your opponents, Brian Kelleher, who actually has a win over you on the regional circuit. What do you think of that performance, and sort of what do you take from that? <laughs> I see that he has some long arms and a long body length, <laughs> and um, you know he's dangerous. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to shy away from that. He's a dangerous opponent. But like I said, um, it's just going to make me sharper uh, and more focused. Absolutely. And so, you know, speaking of Brian Kelleher, you know, still in your division, still kicking around that division as sort of a wily veteran who's who's faced some tough names, including Jackson. Is that a fight you'd like back? I mean, obviously, I know that was a long time ago and you're a very different fighter than you were then. But is that a fight you'd like to try again at? I'm at this point right now where I really don't care who I fight. You know what I'm saying? I just I just want to rack up my wins and, um, you know, become a respected household name in the UFC and in the fan favorite, of course, and the UFC favorite. So, you know, I'm, I'm not out here trying to call anybody out, trying to aim for anybody. I'm just here taking what they give me, and um, I'm going to do my job like that. And then once I climb up the rankings, and the, the ladder at the 135 division, they'll stop probably calling people out. But right now, I'm just chilling. I respect that. I respect that a lot as a sort of a company man here. Now, uh, let's talk about you being a fan favorite, too, because you definitely earned a bunch of fans in that Sean O'Malley fight, which was an absolute barn burner, and you took on fight of the night. Did you do anything special with that extra 50K, or, or was that more of uh, just stow that away and, and get some more training in? Honestly, man, um, it was my first time ever having money like that at once. So let's just say I learned a lot of lessons after I uh, <laughs> kind of spent it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But but um, the good thing is, you know, I'm on my second house right now. You know what I'm saying? Got cars. We went on a nice vacation. But the money is nice, man, but the win is even better. So, I mean... It was nice to have that money in my bank account, but I would have rather had the win. And um, like I said, you know, I never had money like that before. Now I know how it feels to have money like that in my bank account, and I'll be a little smarter with it this time. <laughs> so I, I got to ask, just because I wouldn't be doing my due diligence without it, was was there one thing in particular you want to share with us that you bought that maybe you wouldn't buy again uh, if that was the situation? Let's just say I bought a treadmill to put in my gym garage. But I, I was so excited for it that I went to go pick it up. It was about 40 minutes away. It was a great shape. I found it on Craigslist. Worked when I tested it out. And then on my way back, I have a Jeep Grand Cherokee, so I had to keep the doors open a little, the trunk open a little bit. It just started pouring because I live in Florida. And that happened. It just started pouring, so... I spent four hundred dollars on the treadmill, which I was totally happy with. You know what I'm saying? It was brand it was almost brand new. But then when I got home, it was broke. <laughs> so then I had to like I spent money on getting somebody to come and fix it and blah 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 and then four hundred dollars turned into three hundred dollars. And then I paid I was so upset because I tried everything for everybody to fix it. I paid another $80 for somebody to come pick it up and throw it away from me. <laughs> so that all happened within like a week, man. And, and that's like $800. I'll, 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 you know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> just thinking about it. 
And I had a fitness to LA. I had a membership to LA Fitness, man. <laughs> you know, I just from that that going up point, I was just like, you know, I'm just gonna run outside. I'm just gonna go to LA Fitness and run. I get running in my garage, like, man, that one hurt me. Yeah. I can imagine that one would. Um, and it, it's those types of stories that make you a fan favorite. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the, the regional circuit here, too. Because, uh, you know, this show is based out of Massachusetts. And we're from this regional circuit that, you know, we've seen a lot of CES fights. Are, are you a, a guy who still follows CES in, in the MMA in the, the Northeast region? Or, or now that you're in Connecticut and in the big time, is that sort of behind you? No, man, I'll always be a fan of CES. You know, like, I'm the first champion at 135 there. I built a strong, strong relationship throughout the years. Not with just me, but with my family. With, you know, the Birchfields and the matchmaker, Pat Sullivan, Mike Parente, Fred, guys like that. Um, You know, of course, you're always going to have your ups and downs when it comes to business. But at the end of the day, I'm pretty happy with the, the way they took care of me. And I know that they're happy with the shows I put on and the fans I brought in through the door, you know, and... And, like, I will always have love to see. Yes, I will always support them. And um, if I'm ever around, you know, when they have a show, for sure I'm going to always uh, go show my faith and uh, represent CES to the fullest. Well, we'd, we'd certainly love to see you around those parts, too. Now, I, I want to kick back to your fight, too, because obviously that's what brought us to the table here. Now, you're fighting Montel Jackson this weekend. He's looked good in the grappling department, but obviously he's got some striking behind him, too. How do you see this fight going in if you – are willing to offer a prediction. Uh, what's your prediction for the end of the fight? I just know it's going to be a good fight. You know what I'm saying? And um, like I said, he has a lot of tools. He's a good grappler. He's a good striker. I'm a good striker. And I'm a good grappler too, you know. People might sleep on my grappling, but I've never been finished. So I know what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? I have a couple wins on, on the ground. And um, I, I'm not going to make a prediction, man. Um, all I see it is being a, a good fight, and and that's it, man. Just hold on tight and, and watch the fight, everybody. And like always, I put on the show. Well, and we're certainly looking forward to it. Once again, this was Andre Sukumta, who fights Montel Jackson this weekend at UFC 236. Andre, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you, bro. I'll see you.